Welcome to the FedHeads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the FedHeads each week as Robert Shea and a celebrity guest host talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of FedHeads. And Stan, you came back. I did. I'm just a glutton for punishment, Robert. <laughs> I can't believe you found time for me, but I'm delighted we had kind of fun the last time, though you took us down a pretty dark path, which yeah. is which is why I recruited my friend and colleague, Madeline Wade, to help keep it a little lighter today. Madeline is... Madeline, with the environment. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Everything's perfect. Madeline's with I the, am happy to be the ray of sunshine on this episode today. So Madeline's with the Signal Group. She is a lobbyist and policy consultant extraordinaire. She's got experience on Capitol Hill and is an expert in all things climate and sustainability. And we're delighted you're spending time on FedHeads, Madeline. I'm honored to be here. So Just notice that she gave herself a ray of sunshine, sort of a solar illusion to start the show. <laughs> right. Love it. We love that kind of hidden wit, Madeline. So keep it up. Keep it up. So you're joining us on the heels of the Congress passing and the president signing the Build Back. Oh, oh sorry. It's the Inflation Reduction Act, right? That's the... Uh, Completely the different. No, yes, I am. Um, Inflation Reduction Act just passed. Um, all of the listeners might have some whiplash on what the bill is called. Is it happening? Is it not? You and told me it wouldn't, I think I recall, in a couple of meetings. <laughs> you pay me too much for that uh, for that <laughs> advice. Um, but yeah, so um, we're coming on the heels of signing that bill. We're expecting President Biden and Democrats to be talking for the next two plus years about everything that's in it um, as they continue to read through 800 plus pages of all of the legislation and what that means. The Biden administration is in for a treat implementing all of these programs over the next few years. So what I want to know is we know how the vote went in Congress and so what the dividing line was. Do we want to take odds on how long it is and who the first member of the other side is to take credit for some grant that some local government gets under the IRA? Um, and talks about how proud he or she is of the money that they're bringing back to the district. My money's on West Virginia. My money's on West Virginia. <laughs> yeah, but he voted for the bill. <laughs> oh, right. There's a lot. We're seeing that on the infrastructure bill, where it's everybody's bill at this point. So, so on a serious note, Marilyn, for folks who have followed this only at the surface level, in as concise as one can do with a massive bill like this, from a climate perspective, what are the four or five, like you think, are the really important steps that this bill takes? things that really matter. Absolutely. I think the real foundation of this bill is how it alters the tax code to incentivize renewable energy and technology neutral credits. And so what is, I think, going to be a real good thing coming out of this bill is that over the next few years, the laws will transition to how this technologies reduce emissions. And so instead of going back to Congress and saying we need a separate tax credit for advanced nuclear or we want to expand 45Q carbon capture even further, uh, this bill allots for any new technologies coming into the market. And additionally, it's almost all incentives. There are very few um, sticks in there. It's all carrots. And so um, companies can reach for whatever subsidies, grants, tax credits within this bill that they want to, but they are not being held to renewable energy requirements that were originally included in some of the language in Build Back Better Act. 
And then I think what is somewhat unique about this bill is that it not only goes incentivizes companies to transition and make real um, long term investments in climate, whatever that might be. It also speaks to consumers. So there are tax credits for electric vehicles and ways to make people's homes more efficient. So it's really going at the climate crisis in um, two prongs that will have a long term impact. And so, you know, there's all this talk about reaching the goals of the Paris Agreement to be um, to reach net zero by 2050. And this will it so it seems help us get there and reduce our um, greenhouse gas emissions by 40% by 2030, which is a pretty big step from where we are now. So how do these how do these tax incentives, then just real quick, these tax incentives for electric vehicles or weatherizing or otherwise enhancing the environmental status of your home differ from what we've had for many years? So you, for a long time, you bought a Prius, there was a tax credit, tax incentive. Uh, there are tax incentives for putting solar panels on roofs and so forth. How does this differ? Well, it's streamlined and it's different for each one. And frankly, we'll see as these laws are written and released by the IRS. But um, as of now, for the electric vehicle tax credits, there's a cap on how many cars each company can sell that is an electric vehicle. And that gets rid of the cap so that they are able to sell more. With electric vehicles, there is a caveat that they have to um, mostly build these cars from a domestic supply chain. So that might create some hurdles in the near term, but I am sure these companies are thinking through that. And then from a consumer perspective, there are a lot of somewhat confusing state subsidies in place or federal subsidies, but this will streamline it and create more consistency and long-term consistency for consumers to have a better understanding of what they can apply for and know theoretically that these will be around for 10 years rather than sunsetting in two, five, what have you that we've seen in the past. So Madeline, I remind you, I work for a global accounting firm. So it would be malpractice, not to mention that there are a couple of tax increases in this bill as well. And in fact, I won't go down the reconciliation rabbit hole, but this actually is advertised as reducing the deficit. Can you talk about those, the intersection of those two things? Absolutely. So this bill, I think Democrats will be highlighting all of the climate aspects to it. But ultimately, the holdup on Build Back Better, which now is Inflation Reduction Act, was that Senator Manchin said this bill should be paid for. And so while we have close to $370 billion going towards climate and a significant chunk of money going towards health care, there are pay fors and two of the big ones are a 15% corporate minimum tax and 1% fee on stock buybacks. So that is going to be a, a big change for many companies who operate under the current tax code and we'll have to figure out what this means for them. And that's companies with a billion dollars or more in revenue, right? Correct. So what are you watching next flow from from Build Back Better? What are you going to be paying particular attention to as agency guidance and rollout of these programs takes place? I am going to be watching which which agencies seem to be acting with urgency. These poor federal agencies right now are not operating in a vacuum of just implementing Inflation Reduction Act. We're still seeing releases 
from the infrastructure bill, which in DC terms feels like it happened a decade ago. And when was um, that? Oh, shoot. Um, November of last yeah. year? Last year. The CHIPS Act, the U.S. Competition Bill, has some a significant amount of programs that will need to be implemented on domestic supply chains and renewable energy that a lot of the same agencies that are implementing Inflation Reduction Act will have to work through before they get to all of this. And so realistically, I think we'll see over the next two years, agencies rushing to finalize these new programs uh, before the end of the first term of the Biden administration, because who knows what happens after that. And so that they can give Democrats in the next election something to go home and show change by that point. Uh, but two years is going to go by pretty quickly, knowing that they have to get out all of this information. And a lot of this information for it being such a huge bill has very vague details about where this money can go. So it's crossing different programs. And as we all know, the reconciliation bill can really only impact budget. And Robert, I'm sure you can talk directly into the rules if anybody cares about this. Um, it's and so actually it's not, a sweet spot for our listeners, Madeline. So don't try not <laughs> so to mock our audience. Try it. not to mock our audience. Okay. He's based his whole career on <laughs> hoping people think about it and care about it. <laughs> so despite no authorizing language in the Inflation Reduction Act, there still is going to be a lot for agencies to work out in how these programs, this funding is distributed back to states and companies and municipalities. So Robert, if we've got just a minute, I, I want to follow up on that. Robert and I spent a lot of time talking recently on, on the broadcast about workforce. And one of the things that sparked our conversation was not just the obvious, but also some of the data coming out now around agencies that have major responsibilities under the IRA, um, but are also have atrophied their capabilities over the last, let's say, decade or more. Um, so you have a 15% reduction at EPA. You've got energy with tremendous gaps. You've got GSA, which has the public building service with tremendous gaps. Was that ever talked about in the discussions building this legislation of how do we deal with the capacity of the agencies to execute? There is additional funding for the IRS. Oh, yeah, we've got that in the press, right? <laughs> yes. So there are there are carrots there. But as we all know, and for the folks who have worked in the federal agency, you don't just put out money and um, hire people immediately. So it does worry me the amount of time it would take to bring the right people in to implement this, as well as finding people who are a really good fit for it. It is going to be a big hurdle for the federal government to overcome. Luckily, Congress will enact a timely budget to give agencies a little slack and sufficient resources to uh, operate their regular operations. Is that your prediction? <laughs> really? It's, it's aspirational. <laughs> you speak as an optimist. Give us your forecast for what the post- September period looks like. We've got the end of the fiscal year, got a midterm election and the swearing in of the new Congress in, in early January. Tell us what could possibly get done during that period. <laughs> well, it could be a whole lot or a whole little as we've seen in past lame ducks. That's a brilliant observation. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, my work here is done. Uh, so the Biden administration and Democrats are already messaging that 
their work here is done, that they have come to DC and gotten everything done that they promised. And so there is a lot that they could push through uh, at the end of this Congress, but whether the political appetite there is yet to be seen, I think it they need to see what kind of boon they're getting over August recess from passing this really massive bill and also what the next Congress looks like after the election. So it seems inevitable at this point that we will have a continuing resolution. The only thing, in my opinion, working in our favor for an appropriations uh, negotiator bill passage by the end of the year is that the Senate chair and ranking member are retiring. So this would be a bit of a legacy bill for them to implement something by the end of the year. If that wasn't the case, I would say we would be in a continuing resolution for a lot longer, and we might be. And there are a few other big bills that need to get done. There's uh, the National Defense Authorization Act and, of course, the appropriations bill, if that is passed. And a few smaller things. There's an outdoor recreation bill. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some wildfire or drought legislation that makes it through. So all of these could be other priorities could be attached to it. But I think there will be a big focus on what comes next if Republicans take over the House and or Senate. And then if we're looking forward that far, there will be a focus on a lot of oversight and also of the Biden administration, Republicans differentiating themselves from the Democrats. And there's going to be a very early focus on the next election. So we're going to hear be hearing about the next presidential for a very, very long time. See, Robert, this ray of sunshine didn't even utter the dreaded phrase shutdown. Right. Uh, That's right. I'm in denial. Yeah. My fingers are crossed that we can get through without a shutdown as well. Well, Madeline, thanks for joining us. This is a great discussion and your insights are appreciated. We'll have you back on to judge your insights and, and predictions. <laughs> great. We can play this back and you can you can point out everything that I got wrong. That'd be perfect. Thanks, thanks for having Matt. me join. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to The Fed Heads, brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes.